1: Father, yes, now, Lord, help the speaker and help all of us here to hear you and to respond to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 24, verse six, a remarkable time here. And uh, when we, as we read here, uh, Moses, at this time, they're they're all there at the bottom of of Mount Sinai, and it says, Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood sprinkled on the altar and he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people and they said all that the lord has said will we do and be obedient and moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said behold the blood of the covenant which the lord hath made with you concerning these concerning these words you know we've been we, we as we study this passage here we kind of imagine ourselves with among as part of the Jewish people there all standing there at the base of Mount Sinai with that awesome sight of the the thunder and the lightning they're trembling because of all the power that they've seen there in Mount Sinai and and of course you know when Moses says these are all the words that the Lord says you have to do we we're out there too and we're saying yeah all that the Lord has said we're going to do we're going to be obedient and that's what's happened and even though it was uh they were all very very uh, very just agreed with God, but uh, never mind the fact that in two months from then, they'll be making a golden calf and, and uh, worshiping the golden calf, but, you know, that's for later time, you know, but anyway, but then Moses, then he takes the blood, he sprinkles the blood of the sacrifice on the altar, and then he takes the blood, and he sprinkles the people. Now, can't you picture him them just flinging out these droplets of blood, and, and as he's doing that, he says, behold the blood. You know, here it comes, you know. And we sing these songs like there's power in the blood and how the blood can, uh, what can wash away my sin. But now with Moses, he's got these words that are ringing in our ears, behold the blood. And so we start off on a journey here. We wanna wanna know what does that blood mean to us personally? What does it mean to us? What does the blood mean to you? What does the blood mean to me personally? So looking at it from a personal point of view, and so we began by looking at the, at, at the first prophecy that God gave that there was going to be this deliverer and there was going to be blood. In Genesis 3.15 when it talked about this uh, horrific battle between uh, Satan in the person of the serpent and the seed of the woman and uh, the bloody scene that's portrayed there of the head that's crushed and the heel that's crushed and that's the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first time we see him in Scripture, he is the rescuer with the bloody heel. And it causes us to imagine that just at the time when he's being nailed to the cross and the soldiers are there and they're nailing through his heel and the intense pain that comes as this nail is going through his, his heel because the heel is a very sensitive part of the body. And how the Savior felt as that nail was going through his heel and, and he was thinking to himself, just as Adam and Eve were told, just as they were told, here I am now, the, the deliverer with the bloody heel. And how the Lord Jesus thought of the cross, I'm crushing the head of Satan. I'm crushing the head of the devil as he is crushing my heel. And, and, and it was there, right after the fruit, the fall of man, that, that meant when man became enslaved and in bondage to his own sin. And, sa- and that was when God revealed the foundation for our deliverance. From the devil's power was going to be the blood of the deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that from that first fall of man, our lives, from that point just became filled with death and sinfulness and sadness and, and moral defilement, moral dirtiness inside and weakness and alienation from God and a war with God. but Because of this shed blood of the Lord Jesus, a door was opened. A door was opened for us of a wonderful substitution, of a substitution where all that we don't have became substituted or replaced by all that the Lord Jesus has. Before our sins could be forgiven, our sins had to be covered. They had to be covered because the sight is so disturbing. You know, um, our company and Scanabodies and Takati. Is right off the federal highway to Tijuana. And sometimes people foolishly try to run across that road in front of our company there in, in Tacati. And twice I've seen a dead woman lying in the road after having been hit. And the police down there in Mexico, they have a strange, well, I don't know all of Mexico, at least where we are. They have a strange practice where they do not cover the body. And they have the body there uncovered, face up, for everyone to see who drives by to make a lasting memory for them to drive more carefully. It sure has for me, you know. It's so disturbing to see that. And all I could think was, all I could think whenever I saw that was, please, please, cover the body, at least cover the face. Cover the body. Cover the face of the dead body. The dead body needs to be covered. All you think of when you go by there, just cover, cover, cover. That's the cry of our sins. Our sins need to be covered. That's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the covering for our sins. The blood of the Lord Jesus is only effective when it's a covering. That's the word atonement. We have this very complicated word in English, atonement. And people I try to describe what well, it means at one mint. I guess, with God. In Hebrew, it's very simple. It's kafir. It's just covering. It means covering. And you and I so desperately needed a covering or an atonement for our sins. And the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished that. It accomplished that covering. When you and I sinned, we became enslaved by the devil. And it took money to buy us out of slavery. And that money was called, the purchase money It was called the ransom. It was the ransom. And when we, and that was accomplished by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the purchase money. It was the ransom for our souls. And then the other problem was that when you and I sinned against God, we created this great distance, this distance of alienation between God and man. If you ever want to describe the Bible, if you're going to, you ever want to describe the Bible, especially the kids, use your hands You say, God made us like this, God and man together, but then man decided to sin and he turned away from God and so God turned away from man and that's the great distance and the gospel is simply this, God turned back. God turned back. But the distance was there and God said in Isaiah 59.2, Isaiah 59.2, it's your iniquities that have separated between you and your God and it's the blood that accomplished this bringing back. This brought together again, when it says in and Colossians, Colossians, Ephesians 2:13, "But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. It, brought, it brings us near to God." Now those are external crises that, that, that our sin caused, but the sin also causes for each one of us an internal crisis, the crisis of moral defilement, defilement. And there's no options. To clean ourselves except, except 1 John 1.7, 1 John 1, seven, The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Revelation 1, five talks about our Savior who loved us so much that he washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's what we found in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This cleansing from the inner defilement from our sins. And that's the wonderful thing. Now, what we have here is also a wonderful word about what the blood did for us in Hebrews, Hebrews 9.14. Hebrews 9.14 uses the word purge. You know, sometimes we use our computers, and, and I don't know why they stop going so slow, but they say there's little viruses in there, and they're infecting the hard drive, you know, so what do you do, give an antibiotic or something anyway? And so you need to completely purge. Well, we get little viruses also in our soul, Little sins. And in Hebrews 9.14, there's a different purging when it says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without thought to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That's another accomplishment of the blood of Christ, purging. As it says in Hebrews 9.22, Hebrews 9.22, almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission purged, purified with blood. Another wonderful aspect, a wonderful aspect of the blood. Remission means to remove. The shedding of blood accomplished the removal of our sins. As it says in Colossians 2.14, Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it, to his cross. Now when it talks about handwriting of ordinances that was against us, it's like a book. It's like a book of all of our debts, where all of our sins and and that we've committed, we've violated against God, his laws, everything. And the first thing God does is that he uses the blood just to blot out. Blot out every entry that was against us. And then when all the entries are removed, he says there, now the book is blank. So we don't need that book anymore, so let's just remove it out of the way. Between us and God, let's get it out of the way. We'll, we'll nail it. We'll nail it to the cross. And that's the statement. And the blood of the Lord Jesus accomplished that. Now, in those days, what happened was that it was a custom that when a debt was settled, that what they did is that they, they drove a nail to make it not readable anymore. Just like, you know, when you send your, your, pass, your old passport in to get a new one, and they send it back and you think, Oh, good. And, but then you open it up and there's a big hole through it. So, All right. but, but anyway, so then to remove the writing of our sins, that was a mighty accomplishment of the blood. And keep, and just keep that word in mind. Whenever you think about the blood of Christ, the word accomplishment, accomplishment. And God described it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to when the blood removed our sins. And he described that to Judah. About Judah and Jeremiah seventeen one, how hard that was, Jeremiah seventeen one, Jeremiah 17.1, when he said, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond. It's engraven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of their altars. That's bad. The sin was written with a point of iron or diamond and a pen of iron. Anyways, it's all bad. It's a pretty substantial writing to say that. And that's how our sins were. Our sins were were written with that type of a pen, especially the sins on our conscience, the sins on our on our memories. I mean, just saying, Well, I'm gonna turn over a new leaf in life, and I'll ne-, that's never going to remove the filth from the memory. It's never gonna get rid of the guilt of the conscious. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of the Lord Jesus, he's able, that blood is able to remove the writing of the sins, even when they're written with a pen of iron and a, and a tip of a diamond written into our memories, it's able. Now, before we came to the Lord Jesus Christ, we had a problem, because our sins set up a conflict. It set up a war with God. And we may not have felt we were at war with God, but we were. And what we needed was a peace treaty, a peace treaty with God, to stop the war, a treaty where God would accept us and he agree to stop the war. But a treaty needs a basis. It's gotta have a basis. That's what the blood of the Lord Jesus is. It's the basis for the peace treaty between us and God. This is Colossians one twenty. Colossians one twenty explains this when it says, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Peace through the blood of his cross. By him to reconcile all things unto himself. That's a very interesting phrase. Peace through the blood. If a person tries to make peace with God without the blood, there's no basis. There's no basis for making the peace. There'll be no peace with God. But yet God wants to make peace with man. But there's got to be a basis. And so that's the whole idea behind the John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that he could give eternal life and they wouldn't perish. God the Father gave the son to shed his blood as the basis for the peace. That's why Colossians 1.20 says, peace through the blood, through the blood. Colossians 1.20, it's all about reconciliation. It's all about reconciliation. To reconcile all things unto himself. The verse speaks about reconciling things With God, things on earth, things in heaven. When there's a reconciliation between things that are, there are those in heaven, that's probably referring to those who died more than 2,000 years ago or before the Lord Jesus came to earth. But they're just like us. You know, we look back on the death of the Lord Jesus as the sacrifice for our sins, whereas in the Old Testament times, they look forward to the sacrifice and we know that those Old Testament saints were in heaven because in Abraham it describes how when, the, how when Lazarus died, Luke 16, 20, it says, there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. The dogs came, licked his sore, came to pass. The beggar died. Was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Carried by the angels. Into, the, into Abraham's bosom. It's a wonderful thing that happened. But you know, as we think of this verse in Colossians 1.20, it doesn't say that there was any reconciliation for those in hell. It says there was reconciliation for those in heaven, reconciliation for those on earth. And that generates a great motivation for us when we think that it's not talking about people in hell because we realize that we have a short amount of time to bring the gospel to the lost so they don't fall into hell where they will be in a state of no ever reconciliation with God. When Colossians 1.20 speaks about making peace through his blood, it cannot mean that by his cross everyone will come to peace because the Lord warned about this in Matthew 7.13. Matthew 7.13 when it says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat because straight or narrow is the way straight as the gate narrows the way that leads to life and few there be that find it it's a wide gate it's a broad way and there's many that go to destruction many that live their lives alienated from god and they'll die as god's enemies it's a broad way it's a scary scene it's a broad way. There's another scene that the Lord Jesus described that's a reason to fear, and that's when he said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and not be able. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine people that are really trying to get into heaven and not able? What a terrifying sight that is of the, uh, all the calling and the scratching and the screaming at the door of heaven and not to be able to enter in. It's frightening. It's just frightening, and that 's not the only time the Lord Jesus spoke about the horrors of people trying to get into heaven and not being able to. The Lord Jesus let us hear words of people who were being denied entrance into heaven this was a, this was, these are these words these are their words in matthew seven twenty one matthew seven twenty one not everyone that saith unto me, Lord Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, and here's the words we're able to hear, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many, many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them? I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work in the iniquity. That scene sends shivers up the spine. It's terrible. It's terrible. How horrible to think of many who think they're saved, many who think they're doing the will of God, many who think that because they're preaching in Jesus' name, because they're casting out devils in Jesus' name, because they're doing many wonderful works in Jesus' name, and all the while that, because they're doing all those things, they think, I'm going to be welcomed to heaven. Just wait till I get there. They're really going to welcome me. And in the end, they hear these terrifying words as they're being cast into hell. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. They knew all the works that they did, but they never really knew the Lord Jesus as their Savior. They, would never, they never could say, dearer than all, like the song says. Dearer than all. Jesus is dearer than all to me. The best friend I have. What a friend that we have in Jesus, like we just sung. They wouldn't say that, really. But they were full of a lot of works, full of a lot of religious works. Now, so this is the scene of ultimate shock ultimate shock. Everyone when they die is going to wake up. That's true. Everyone when they die is going to wake up. It doesn't matter if if the bodies were cremated, put into the hottest oven possible in the crematorium, if they were thrown into the ocean and and sunk 20,000 leagues under the sea, whatever. They're going to wake up after death. They're going to wake up. And what a shocking scene it is to imagine people waking up after, after, de- waking up after death and saying, I woke up. I woke up. I wasn't supposed to wake up. My body was cremated. What am I doing waking up? I was supposed to be annihilated by the crema- cre- crematorium there. How could I have woken up after death? Why am I being cast into hell? That's the scene. That's the scene. And the Lord Jesus said that talked about fearing being cast into hell way more than heaven. And that's because the fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the first step. He said in Matthew 10, 28, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's why the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is so important because it removes all this distance from God. When a person trusts in the blood of the Lord Jesus as his sacrifice, then he comes into a nearness, so the distance is removed, it's gone. And so how is the blood of the Lord Jesus, how is it for all? It's for all people because the blood of the Lord Jesus is God's effective plan. It's effective plan that can result in a peace between any man and God. And the plan was put in place by God and the plan is not effective unless man does something And that something is described in Romans 3.25. Romans 3.25 says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, and here's what man does, through faith in his blood, through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Man has to put his faith, man has to put his confidence in the blood. And that trust and confidence is described as in Romans 3.25, faith in his blood, faith in the blood of the Lord Jesus. Used to love it when Pastor Jim and I would go around and Jim would ask the question, what is your basis for hoping to go to heaven? What is your basis for, for hoping to go to heaven? And if a person didn't said because he died for me because his blood was shed for me, we knew right away where he stood, we knew right away whether or not he also was walking right down the middle of the road to hell.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051.
2: Experience a short-term missions trip to Israel, the land and people to whom the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Not only walk where the Lord Jesus walked, but reach who He reached, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Be a part of the encouraging Jewish friends to receive the Lord Jesus. Israel Alive is all about making friendships with lost Israelis that will hopefully be eternal. We hope you'll join us in reaching the nation of Israel one friendship at a time. For more information, visit us at israelalive.org. That's israelalive.org Join us for the Taste of Creation silent auction and fundraiser for the Creation and Earth History Museum, Israel Restoration and Friendship with God Ministries on Saturday, July 14th at 6 p.m. Enjoy an amazing evening of fantastic food, music, prizes, and a special message by Ministry President Tom Cantor and guest speaker Frank Sherwin. Your participation and support of this fun-filled evening helps sustain these vital ministries to equip future generations and promote the furtherance of the gospel message. Register today at www.tasteofcreation.com That's tasteofcreation.com